Greetings and welcome to the Maine Question Podcast from the University of Maine. I'm Ron Lisnett. Well, the editors who put together the front pages of newspapers in the year 2020 certainly have their hands full. From hurricanes and fires to the election and the coronavirus pandemic, there are stories almost every day that used to be rare or even once-in-a-lifetime events. Adding to that list of major headlines and stories is the racial unrest the country has experienced and the discussions, protest movements like Black Lives Matter and civil unrest that have resulted. Events such as the death of George Floyd at the hands of the police in Minneapolis earlier this year have put conversations about diversity, equity and inclusion front and center. It's forced many individuals, companies, educational institutions, local and national government leaders, really all of us, to deal with these issues and find some kind of pathway forward. At the University of Maine, those conversations are happening, and there's an enhanced focus on making the situation better. Earlier this summer, UMaine President Joan Farini-Mundy announced the creation of the President's Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. The Council has many goals and tasks. Where does UMaine stand in regard to these issues? How do you measure progress? What structures are in place that help or hinder the goal of promoting and ensuring inclusive excellence? How can UMaine better prepare students for a world and a workplace that is becoming increasingly diverse? A lot of questions to ponder here on The Main Question. It's a big job, and in this episode, we'll speak with two members of the President's Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion who co-chair the effort. Kimberly Whitehead is a Vice President and Chief of Staff for President Farini Mundy. Susan McKay is a professor of physics and director of the Center for Research in STEM Education, better known as the RISE Center. A few weeks back, we fired up Zoom and talked about these issues. Thank you so much for taking the time to speak with us on this important topic. Certainly, the year 2020 has been a whirlwind in terms of these topics, the issues of race, diversity, equity, Uh, have always been with us, but they seem to have moved to the front page a little bit bit more this year. There's always been work and progress made on these topics here at UMaine, but what was the genesis of this council to formally create it and and really put it as a top priority? Sure, I'll take that question. So the genesis of of this council came from a report that was conducted by um, VP uh, Robert Dana, and who is um, for from Student Life and Inclusive Excellence, and he did a report. And the earliest date I could find on the report was um, in twenty nineteen. It was to look at the status of diversity and inclusion at the University of Maine. And as a part of that report, one of the recommendations, as a matter of fact, I believe it was the first on the list of recommended actions was to appoint a President's Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. So I believe that was the genesis of of this council, was from that set of recommendations. Susan, what does it say about the importance of these topics that this council was created, do you think? Well, I think the fact that it's a president's council and it's a standing group of people working on these issues both speak to the importance. As the report that Kimberly referred to stated, there's a lot of work going on at the University of Maine that's connected to diversity, inclusion, and equity, but it's not always coordinated and it's not always evidence guided. And I think the council has a really important overarching responsibility to look 
at how these different pieces are working and whether they can leverage each other's work in better ways to serve our students and our faculty and our staff. Kim, what did uh, Dean Dana's report say about where we are at? And is it serving as a guide for the council's work? I absolutely believe in in some regard that it does. So the report, um, from a broad view, it it gives kind of a first a listing of eight diversity um, dimensions. And then it goes on to identify um, almost 40 um, diversity and inclusion partners at the institution. It gives a summary of some of those partners as well as gives us some some data about faculty and and staff in terms of uh, racial diversity at the institution. And so and then it has those recommendations. So some of the just to talk about some of the inclusion and diversity partners, the Center for Diversity and Inclusion, the Rainbow Resource Center, the Franco-American Center, the Provost Council on Aging, Advancing Women faculty, just to kind of give you a a preview of what some of those partners that were identified in the report. And so I think it gives the Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Council a good start in terms of the status of where we are. I think we have a lot of work to do and we do have some specific um, charge items which are more evaluative. But I think the this report gives us a very good start. So, Susan, is it a matter of organization and recognizing First of all, what's there? Talk about it being so diffuse in all, in all these different places, sort of bringing it all under one roof. That, that helps, right? Well, I think it helps to have a council at this level that's really looking at what's being accomplished and where the gaps are. And I think a really important point that was made in the report was that diversity, equity, and inclusion really become a central piece of the University of Maine and that it become part of our culture and we use our knowledge of education to really keep refreshing people's understanding and enhancing their um, commitment and their knowledge about diversity um, regularly and over time. And I think that's a way that the University of Maine can really move forward with these issues. There's certainly been a lot of well-publicized incidents in the year 2020 of violence and racial unrest, but it seems that the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis on Memorial Day weekend sort of took it to a whole new level. Did that episode play into this at all or help spur action in any way? I think it it helped to advance the work that we are going to be doing and and convening this committee. As I mentioned, it was already a recommendation from the report, but um, the president did and Dean Dana did make a statement about the um, George Floyd killing after it happened, and then later on in one of her um, her earlier June main memos, she talked about taking action, and so I think. Um, it did help to advance the work, but I don't think it, as, as I mentioned earlier, it wasn't a catalyst. Those types of incidents, incidents continue to happen in our country. It causes us to take action. And so I think I would, if I had to characterize the president's um, June 10th main memo, it, it, it's kind of a, a call to action in terms of the stance that UMaine has against against anti-racism and in support of diversity, equity, and inclusion, but also some of the action items that we're going to engage in for the future to improve the experience for our students um, on this campus. And hopefully that kind of transcends to the broader community. 
what does the data show about where humane is on, on some of these issues? And are there metrics or benchmarks that uh, tell us we're doing well in terms of diversity, equity, and inclusion or, or not so well? I think this question is part of the work that really lies ahead for the council. The council just held its first meeting on Friday and we saw some initial data presented by Deb Allen, who's the associate provost for institutional research and assessment. And we reviewed the kinds of data that she is collecting and how it was presented. And then the group came up with some really I think thought-provoking recommendations for ways to go further with tracking progress on our campus. So it's kind of too soon to say, you know, exactly where UMaine is compared to its peer institutions and things like that. We will definitely be coming out with a recommendation around the data to be collected and looked at. I'd like to emphasize that when we talk about data, we're not just talking about numbers, but we're also trying to dig deeper into what the student experience is like, what the faculty experience is like, what's the staff experience like, and that would involve interviews or in-depth surveys in addition to just retention rates and numbers about things. Most people think of uh, diversity along racial or gender identity lines, but is there more to it than that? You mentioned nine dimensions of diversity that, uh, that are being used on this topic these days? That's correct. And so the report that I mentioned earlier kind of highlights some of the important dimensions of diversity. Of course, it's not an extensive list, but um, for our purposes, we are focusing on nine dimensions of diversity, and those include ability, age, ethnicity, um, sex and gender, race, religion, sexual orientation, um, socioeconomic status, and nationality. And so the DEI Council is representative of those nine dimensions of diversity. And we were very intentional about that because if we are going to create change or impact at the institution, um, and we talk about inclusive, inclusion, we have to be inclusive. And so I think oftentimes when folks think about diversity to just think about race or ethnicity, but diversity is much broader than that. And so we wanted to, to be inclusive with our council so that we, um, as much as we could, would, would present a representative body when coming up with recommendations to improve the status of what diversity, equity, and inclusion is once we find, once we determine that at the university. Now, we have to remember that the council's work is, is just beginning as we're recording this. As you said, the first meeting was just a couple of days ago. So a lot of answers to be found still, I'm sure. But as far as you can tell, you know, here at the outset, are there structural impediments that have been around a long time that people might not even be aware of that are an obstacle to uh, diversity, equity, inclusion? Susan, what, what, what are your thoughts there? I, I can think of of certainly a couple right off. One is... There's always a lot of inertia in our higher educational system. Faculty tend to teach the content that they were taught in the ways that they were taught it. And it takes a real incentive system and deliberate planning to change the way things are taught. Also, I think in terms of hiring practices and retaining faculty from some of the underrepresented groups that we've talked about. It's tough in tight budget times to 
pay for national recruitment, but it's also very important if you're going to get a diverse applicant pool and attract um, a strong pool of people representing the full range of diversity in this country. So I think we have to recognize that and invest in that way. And then once people come here, we have to really have plans and programs in place to support them so that they can flourish here and not flounder. Kim, you have a background in genetics and you have an interesting analogy about how genetic diversity can make populations or individuals more robust or resilient. Can, can you unpack that for us a little bit? Sure. The um, ability or the capability of a population to adapt to its changing environment is heavily dependent upon um, genetic diversity. So if we, um, the more diverse a population, the more likely that population is to be able to adapt and survive. So if we look at that in terms of the population being our organization and equated to um, diversity, which we just described, looking at those nine dimensions, if we had all of that type of diversity incorporated into our organization, um, it would make it a stronger organization and more adaptable and able to survive, but not only to survive, but to be able to thrive in the ever-changing landscape of higher education. So I think I, I like to kind of use that um, analogy from my background um, to to think about this work in terms of how strong our organization can be if we just basically kind of model genetic diversity in nature um, and apply it to what we're doing in this work in terms of our organization. Susan, what's been the reaction around campus? Do people want to be engaged and take part in this effort? I think the response around campus has been amazing. Uh, there, I've never been on a council or committee where people are reaching out and asking if they can be part of it. And then there are also people who wanted to know if the meetings would be public or how they could provide input. I think there's a huge amount of interest and commitment to change around um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, at our first meeting, the members of the council had a chance to kind of speak about their own personal goals and what they want to get out of being part of the council. And it was it was a very inspiring series of, of short introductions in that way. I think, I mean, that's one of the things that encourages me so much about this council really being able to accomplish things and not just create recommendations that sit on a shelf somewhere. Speaking to that, Kim, how, how might the work of this council be folded into the university and how it conducts itself? Everything from hiring practices to how classes are taught to just the community in general. Uh, this work, you hope, infiltrates all of that, I imagine. Absolutely. And I think the way that I look at the at the work because of the um, permanent nature of the committees, this is just phase one. And so we're basically taking uh, an assessment of where we are as an institution, looking at our policies, our practices, looking at those structural um, impediments um, that keep us from um, from promoting diversity, equity and inclusion at the institution. And so as we are able to have more information and to get a clear picture 
of the status of those our institution in those areas, what we will be then doing make it, is making a recommendation to the president by December 1. But I think the important thing is to remember is that um, the work will be ongoing and it will provide an opportunity for us to build upon what has already been built at the institution by collaborating with those partners that have been identified through Dr. Dana's report. So I think our, our work is multifaceted. As Susan um, mentioned, there's a lot of interest in this work. Um, every week I get an email from someone else who is who's interested in the work and wants to participate. And so I think we've gotten off to a great start and it's just a way for us to have better coordination of, of as it relates to the, the services and opportunities and programs that are devoted to diversity, equity, and inclusion um, for our university. Susan, you touched on this a little bit, but can you talk a little bit more about the goal of making the faculty more diverse and what benefits that may have, the national searches bringing in a more diverse faculty? Sure, Ron. First of all, I think a more diverse faculty leads to a better education for students. All students in this day and age need to learn and work in diverse communities. That's the workplace that they're going to be part of after they graduate. And there's so much value in having the input and experiences from others who are different from them. So um, I think we really owe it to our students to make those kinds of learning experiences happen where their faculty and also the other students that they're interacting with represent the full diversity and not just one segment of the population. Furthermore, everybody needs successful role models. Um, and role models come in a lot of different ways to people along a career path. And I think the more diversity we have in our faculty, the better um, choices our students can make for their own role models and mentors as they go through. But it's even deeper than that. A university really relies on faculty governance to be successful. And just like um, Kimberly was saying with her genetic diversity model, if you have a bunch of different strands or a bunch of different ideas emerging, you're gonna get a better solution to a problem or a better policy to put in place. And so I think by having much more diversity among our faculty, we will really come out as a, as a stronger place, both in terms of our governance and the education that we provide. And then there's the research piece too. Research is really about figuring things out and solving problems. And the more viewpoints you can put around the table, the more creative your solutions will be. So I think that's very important. Kimberly, this work certainly dovetails into that, what really is the underlying goal or the, 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 the major goal of a university, that's to educate and develop students. So that, is that sort of the guiding light for this council's work uh, at the end of the day? Absolutely, it is. A big part of the education and, and guidance and, and development of, of, of students is that we, we understand uh, what diversity, equity, and inclusion really means, and we come up with solutions and resources that we share broadly. And so I think many of us on the council, and I can, I can speak um, definitely for myself, this is very new to us. And so right now we're in a learning phase ourselves, and we do have some students that are included in our council. But um, I think long term, one, we're looking to make an impact 
um, and identify areas of change, not to say that everything needs changing, um, but I think we, we definitely need to have information that is the catalyst for that change, but also to be able to provide information and resources that is useful for our students that not only helps them to look at the world more broadly and holistically, but also kind of feeds into their their need for discovery and to learn about things that are um, that are new to them, or even meet people and learn about people who are different from them. And so, I think that provides a a good exposure for our students. As as Susan mentioned, it helps them to be ready for to be more competitive in the global society because they do have an edge up on a student who may not have such a broad um, educational training. And so we're looking to develop a set of resources that can be shared not only with the council and the university, but definitely can benefit our students. And then finally, for both of you, does UMaine, with all this work that's coming, have a chance to be a leader in this effort? What, what might this look like in five years? Susan, maybe let's start with you. I think UMaine definitely has a chance to be a leader in this field. We just really have to make this a deep priority and a focus for our work. We already have significant interdisciplinary research centers that are focused on different aspects of diversity and inclusion. We have the Center for Community Inclusion. We have the Center on Aging at the RISE Center, which I direct. We're always disaggregating our data by gender and by socioeconomic status. There's possibilities to really expand our efforts in studying ourselves as we move on this journey and really make a difference. I think we're just at the very beginning. We don't really know where we're doing well, where we really need to improve. And I think um, having data to, to support us along the journey will be really important. I also think that the commitment by faculty, staff, and students to this work is really important. And right now I see that commitment as I speak with people all across our campus. So I think that helps put us in a position so that we can really be a leader in this effort. And I think our campus could look very different in five years. It could just look much more diverse as you walk across the mall. It could have an array of courses that really... Uh, don't just present one slice or one viewpoint. It it can really display in all of our work the the kinds of diverse viewpoints that need to be recognized at a scholarly institution like the University of Maine. Kimberly? Yes, I absolutely do think that the University of Maine can be a leader in this work. Um, in addition to the um, commitment by faculty, staff, and students, there's also a commitment from the university's leadership. Um, as 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 we have talked about, this is a president's council and it's a standing council. And so the president has um, made a commitment to this work and has reinforced her commitment and actually joined us for our first meeting. And I, I think... Um, the recommendations that we're going to be able to determine out of the initial work and the implementation of those recommendations, I think, are going to be very important um, for our university. 
Um, this is an ongoing conversation across the country about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that UMaine is very poised to be a leader. I think we have a good team of people who are invested in this work, as we've talked about the interest, the level of interest in the work. But I think also it provides an opportunity for us not to just have a conversation on our campus, but also perhaps be a leader in the state of Maine. I was recently talking with a colleague um, at, a, at a university in Maine who, um, whose university has recently stood up a similar council. And so we've made an a, agreement that we're going to engage um, not with just a, at UMaine, but also um, reach across other institutions to have this conversation. And so I think with the ingredients that we have, um, the leadership, the interest, the um, resources that we are looking to create, I think definitely UMaine has a great opportunity to be a leader in this work. Well, we're excited to see where this work goes. Thank you so much for uh, spending some time and talking to us about it. Thank you, Ron. This has really been my pleasure to talk with you today. Yes, thank you for having us. This has been my pleasure as well. And as we continue to um, engage in this work, it's my greatest hope that we are able to make an impact here at UMaine. The Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion will meet this fall. Their first report will come out on December 1st. Thanks for joining us as always. Let us know what you think about this episode or our series. Drop us a line at mainquestion at maine.edu. We invite you to subscribe to our series. You can find The Main Question on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. This is Ron Lisnett. We'll catch you next time on The Main Question. <laughs>